before we look at that. Gracious Lord, we thank you for your word. And again, as we look at this uh, part of Mark's gospel and what Jesus says about the church and family, we pray that we would be clarified through the work of your Holy Spirit. He might speak into our hearts and minds so we might understand uh, what we are reading. Uh, We might take in, by the power of your Holy Spirit, what you would have for us to learn and to put into practice here. Amen. Mark chapter 3, verses 31 to 35. Then Jesus mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked around at those seated in the circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Cast your minds back last week, or a reminder because some of you couldn't be here, you were elsewhere. We noted that when Jesus entered a house, go back to verse 20, the crowds were so vast that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. And his family, verse 21, when they hear about it, they come to take charge of him. And the reason they say that is he's out of his mind. They can't get their heads around what's happening at this time. And last week, again, we then saw how Jesus answered the teachers of the law who'd come to check out his teaching. We'll come back to that in a short while. But here's the key thing. The phrase actually take charge of him there. In the Greek, it's closer to, or it could be used as the word arresting. They came to forcibly take charge of him. They thought he was out of his mind, beyond all hope. And they needed to step in, what we would call today, an intervention. Some years ago, um, I played Tracy, a record that had been in my collection for years, and she'd never heard it. And it was the first album by the group called Roxy Music, made back in 1972. And she actually said something really interesting as she, she listened to it. Something actually was reflected by a music journalist who had written the notes. She said there's something that's sort of almost retro about this. It sounds almost old. But for 1972, it also sounds well ahead of its time. (laughs) Now what she sort of meant as she listened to that first track, which interesting enough is called Remake, Remodel, 
is that you were getting elements which could have been sort of 50s rock and roll, but you had swirling synthesizers and general weirdness going on around it. So it sounded both a throwback in some ways, but it sounded futuristic. Now, when we come to Jesus' teaching here, it has an element we understand. We all understand families, whoever we are, whatever we think of them. We all have a mother and father. We all have some form of family. But Jesus uses the concept of family here to challenge those who are there. To get them to think. So not only is he taking them back to something they know, but he's taking them forward to what God's plan is. What God's family is. And that would have been quite revolutionary to those who were hearing this. We have to sort of unpack this a bit because there's a bit that's cultural here which we have to understand if we are to understand the passage properly. So the first thing Jesus does is he defines family. When he's told that his mother and his brothers are outside looking for him, he immediately asks a question. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked, verse 33. Now, as I said, it's to get people thinking. This is to make people think. It's very much putting the question to them to challenge their assumptions. You know, the Jews placed a lot on family, and there were good reasons for that. They were very, very proud of their heritage. They would go back, as they would see it, to Abraham. God made promises to Abraham, and they saw those promises as applying to them. They would have also understood that family was important because of what the law, the Ten Commandments, said, that they were to honour your father and mother. And don't actually forget, don't think for a second Jesus has forgotten that. But... Jesus does something that is purposeful here. It was something actually was not uncommon in the teaching of that day. He uses a shocking example. Because as I said, they would have known the commandment. So he's throwing everything up in the air here, isn't he? What I don't think is this is a deliberate slight to his family. I think there is an issue here because they have come to take charge of him and to literally stop him from doing his work. So there may be a slight rebuke there. But Jesus knew the law, didn't he? And Jesus, we realise, actually came to fulfil the law. Just, um, just going to Matthew chapter Uh, 5 verses 17 and 18. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, nor the least stroke of pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything has been accomplished. 
Jesus came to fulfil the law, he does that by keeping the law. So I have no doubt that he honoured his uh, mother here. We don't have his father mentioned. It's quite likely that Joseph had, was dead by this time. But I have no doubt in some way he honoured his family later. It would make absolute... It would be in contrast to Scripture and Scripture as we know we are to take the whole context of Scripture. So he would have known this. But he uses this example to get people thinking. The people who are listening to get them to think that this is something new that they are hearing. So he's defining family here. Who are they? Now he identifies family. Jesus identifies family quite simply. Verse 34. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother's and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus identifies family by those who respond to his teaching. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Because just think back, or go back, to verse 22. We might think that Jesus would identify with the religious leaders of the day, the teachers of the law. But what happened when the teachers of the law witnessed all he was doing, all he was teaching, all the miracles he was doing, they said this, verse 22. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Now we know, don't we, that they are in, not just having a slight disagreement, they're in complete opposition to the work of Christ. And actually, as we were looking at last week, Jesus says to them, in effect, to paraphrase the last part of that passage, really, from verse 28 to 30, he literally says, well, if you take that attitude and you continue with it, you cannot be forgiven. It's a very dangerous thing to oppose the will of God. Rather interestingly, Jesus does two things in that passage. He first shows that the actual idea that he casts out demons by the prince of demons, Beelzebub, is ludicrous. It's a mad idea. It's a ridiculous idea. Secondly, he says it's a dangerous idea. because it is opposing a work of God. The simple thing is, as he said, we looked at last week, one greater, more powerful, one who has complete authority over everything, including Satan, is here. That's how he's casting out demons. But these teachers of the law see the kingdom of God advancing, they see the kingdom of God in its tangible form in Jesus Christ, and they oppose it. There are people just sitting by Jesus, sitting at his feet or whatever, 
learning in quiet submission. He identifies with them as family. Not the people you'd expect, not the theologians, but those who listen. So his defined family, his identified family. Lastly, he gives the qualification for family. Jesus in verse 35 uses, uh, 34 actually in verse 35, uses intimate terms. Illustrating there is a close relationship with those who obey him. Now the point that's being made here, which I think is a very, very important one, is this is about how the kingdom of God works. And it's about this. This is about a new family, a new form of family. Rather interestingly, in the life of Christ, and this is something that's often overlooked, Jesus is often the perfect representation of what something else should be. He's a perfect representation of of a nation that failed. Think of when Jesus is tempted in the wilderness. It's interesting, 40 days and 40 nights. And what did Israel do? They wandered in the desert for 40 years because of their disobedience. Because they were not fit, that generation was not fit to enter the promised land. But Jesus has a period of 40 days and 40 nights representing those 40 years, And he's faithful. He does not succumb to temptation. We see elsewhere in scripture, particularly in Romans 5, Jesus is the second Adam. He's everything Adam should be. Where Adam failed, Jesus does not. He's the true Israel, as it were. And this is the point Jesus is making. The true people of God obey God's word in every respect. I remember some years ago talking to someone who's quite well known around the town who rather proudly told me that they took what they liked from every religion. They cherry-picked as it were. Now, how does that fit with Jesus' teaching? And we think of the words of the writer to the Hebrews. In Hebrews 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. The word of God does not change at all. Jesus is the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory. Some people saw it literally. We see it through scripture. And the Word of God does not change and therefore is not to be tampered with. So the challenge is here. Are we those who obey his Word in each and every respect? This is what Jesus is talking about because then we become the new family of God. Not not the Israel 
which is what they were hanging on to, the idea that they were descended from Abraham and that made all the difference. That's not the case at all. Indeed, John the Baptist set people right on that. Luke chapter 3 and verse 8. Verse, uh, start at verse 7 actually. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say that to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. See what he was saying. And what Jesus is saying is the same, isn't it? The identification is going to be God's people, God's family. That is what's happening here. And the interesting thing is, it's not about just seeing. Cast your mind back to last week again. What did the teachers of the law see when they came to check Jesus out? They were only following what it says in Deuteronomy 13, but they came to check him out. They saw the good things he was doing. They saw the teaching he was was making and saying and doing. And what did they say? He has a demon. They heard, but they did not believe. It's about doing. And Jesus makes that point, isn't it? Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus' family is limited to those who do his work and obey his word. That's very much picked up, isn't it, in the passage we had read earlier. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus Christ is born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love, that we obey his commands and his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world this is victory that has overcome the world even our faith who is it who overcomes the world only he who believes that Jesus is the son of God some years ago I was struggling with some things and I came across what Jesus says to his disciples which John is very much picking up and remembering here He talks about in this world you will have trouble. But then he says, don't worry, I have overcome the world. And that's what it means to be part of God's family. One of the things I love about the gospel, and I love about the Bible, is it tells it how it is. It portrays life and people who get knocked about, who don't have it easy. And that's why I get so mad when I hear teaching that suggests you come to Jesus and you'll have no problems. 
and you have wealth and health and goodness knows what else, that makes me mad. Because it's a complete distortion of what Jesus taught. In this world you will have trouble. But the plus side is here, isn't it? He has overcome the world. And what's the point this is making? We just read. We're part of God's family. We have that assurance now, but we have a glorious future to look forward to when we obey Jesus' words in each and every respect. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we do thank you for this short passage. We thank you that it is such a simple thing, but it's so profound because it gives us great reassurance and it gives us great confidence. And it means whatever happens to us, we're, we're, we, we can be looked to you. We're, we're in your family. And we know we have a Heavenly Father who looks out for us. So Lord, we pray that we would put our faith in your word. We would be obedient to it and have a confidence in it as you are a great and good and loving father. We ask this in Jesus' name, the one who promised it. Amen.